So we are, for those of you who weren't here last week, and there were many of you, I guess, whatever reason, um, end of the year, beginning of the year, vacation. Um, and so, so as a, as a repeat, um, for this coming year in 2023, we're going to study the pastoral epistles. Pastoral epistles are 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And the reason why we're studying the pastoral epistles this year is because these letters, in these letters, Paul addresses his spiritual son, Timothy, of how he should pastor a church. And, and, and as he, and that those instructions of Timothy shines instructions of how, of how a church should be run. Timothy is Paul's spiritual son, and Timothy is a pastor of the church in Ephesus. Timothy is a timid lad. He's a relatively new pastor, and therefore Paul is giving him instructions of how to pastor that church. And as a consequence of him, of that instruction of how to pastor the church, Paul explains to Timothy and to all of us what a church should look like. The very first thing that Paul instructs Timothy to do as a pastor in the church of Ephesus is that he needs to, he needs to stop certain people from being teachers of the church. The very first charge that Paul gives Timothy is go to some men in the church and tell them to stop teaching. And he's telling Timothy to do that because these men were teaching false doctrine. So if the very first thing that Paul teaches Timothy to do is to stop people from teaching false doctrine, conversely, the very first thing that Paul wants Timothy to focus on as the pastor of the church of Ephesus is to preach sound doctrine. The church, more than anything else, is a place of sound doctrine. It's a place of truth. On Friday, we went to, I went to a small group, a virtual small group, and we talked about the various things that people look for in a church, right? What, what do new church shoppers look for in a church? They look for children's ministry program. They look at how blessed they feel during the time of worship, right? They, 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 we, we, they, we, they look for the sense of community within the body. These are all important things. But the most important thing that, that people need to understand when they're looking for the church, a new home church, is does the church teach sound doctrine? And sound doctrine about God is the most important thing about a church. Because it is through sound doctrine that God communicates himself to the church and to the individual members of the church. God makes himself known primarily through the revelation of truth, the revelation of who he is based on his 
word. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. God doesn't just only reveal himself through, you know, these exciting spiritual experiences. He does that. But primarily, the way you commune with God, the way you become personally intimate with God and grow in the knowledge of God is basing your faith on sound doctrine. For example, this is how you do it. You take a passage and you study that passage and you think about what that passage reveals about God And the revelation of God always makes you see yourself in the light of God. And as you see the reflection of yourself in the light of God, you repent. Also, you get the sense of God's love. You get the sense of God's holiness and sovereignty. And therefore, when you get the sense of God's sovereignty and holiness, you get confidence in God. That's how Christian life is supposed to work. Every day. Open up the word. Study it. Examine your life in the light of God's revealed word. And when you do this consistently, often enough, I promise you, he will reveal himself to you. And you will feel a sense of closeness with God. And you, your mind will be renewed, and you will start to mature. And as you start to mature, you will start to love God and love other people better. That's what Paul teaches in verse 5. He says, the purpose, the goal of my teaching, it is so that you will grow in love. It is through, Paul's, it is through the teaching, Paul says, that you grow in the love, of, love for God and you grow in the love for other people. That's how you develop the love for God and the love for other people by, by be, being bounded by God's truth, sound doctrine. Look, two examples. Number one, I have a friend, one of my closest friends, and he is... A passionate fella, right? He is gung-ho for the Lord. He's done a lot of things for the Lord, right? If, when he lead praise, it's as if an angel came down to sing, right? He went to different places all, over, all around the world, and he has seen things what God can do through, with his eyes. He has, thing, he has seen miraculous things with his eyes of what God can do. But when God made him fail at what he really wanted to do in life, he started questioning the love of God and he started questioning the love of God. His Christian faith was primarily experiential. Experience, he wanted to experience what God can do through him and for him. And by his grace, God has let him see fantastic things. But the core of his faith, it wasn't sound doctrine. He didn't commune with God through sound doctrine. He communed with God through, I don't know, speaking in tongues or something. 
It wasn't sound doctrine that he was communing with God through. And therefore, when God made him, made him fail, he questioned the love of God. As long as God was doing something exciting that he could see, God loved him. But when God didn't do anything exciting for him, in fact, when God made him fail, he questioned the love of God. That's what happens when your love for God is based on experience and not on doctrine. I know people closest to me who've gone to church literally for half a century. And yet they cannot forgive their family members who hurt them. Week after week after week, they come and they sing and they listen. But when people hurt them, even, the, even their own family members, they cannot forgive them. What is their Christianity based on? Is it based on the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for sinners to forgive them? No. Their faith was based on religious practices. Only a relationship with God that is based on truth, only discovering God through the truth, only by discovering yourself in the light of truth, that is how you mature and grow. That is how you love God more and love others more. My friends, the question I want to ask you this morning is this. Is your version of faith leading you to a greater love for God and love for other people? Is it? Whatever version of faith that you hold on to, is it leading constantly to a greater love for God and greater love for a human being? I say human being and not humanity. Because it is easy to love humanity as a concept. It is it's very easy for you to agree with me when I say love other people. It's very easy for you to agree with me in concept. But Paul is not interested in a conceptual love for humanity. Paul is interested in real life, genuine, like brick and mortar type of love. Is your version of faith leading you to that maturing love for another human being. If it's not doing either, then with all due respect and love for you, what is the, what is the point of your faith? If your version of Christianity is not leading you to the love of God and not leading you to a love of a human being, what good is your faith? Right? You can speak in tongues. You can have ecstatic spiritual experiences. You can drive demons out. But if your love for, if your faith is not growing in your love for God and love for human beings, Jesus would say, I don't know you. 
That's why it is imperative that a true church based its ministry on sound doctrine. Biblical knowledge doesn't save you. Knowledge itself doesn't save you. That's clear. Like I said, Stalin, the mass murderer of Russia, the Soviet Union, he could memorize all the, all the words of the gospel, four gospels, word for word, verse by verse. But he became a mass murderer. So having had knowledge about theology, that is not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about God working through sound doctrine to mature you. That is the primary way that God works in your life. And therefore, study your Bibles as if your spiritual life depends on it. Because it does. That's why Paul is going so harsh about these false teachers because they were preaching a false doctrine. Who were these guys? One second, I get some water. Sorry. Who were these false teachers? These false teachers in Ephesus, we can, we can kind of see that they were from a Jewish background. Ephesus was a, one of the major cities in Rome. It was filled with pagans, right? Non-believers. But Paul, to begin his ministry, started teaching at a Jewish synagogue in that city. So a lot of the first converts in Ephesus were Jewish people. And as you know, maybe you're not aware, but Jewish, people, Jewish religion teaches that you can be righteous before God. You can be acceptable before God if you obey God's law. The only way that you can be acceptable and, and regarded as righteous before God is if you obey God's law. So these guys knew the Old Testament, and these guys not only knew the Old Testament, they also knew, they also knew non-Old Testament, non-Jewish books that are not related that, that are related to the Old Testament but are not canon. It's like, you know, Sean Stark reading Star Wars. Not only does he know the Star Wars movies, but reading books related to the Star Wars canon. These guys were like Sean Stark's version of Star Wars. They knew their stuff. So in their minds, you need to be righteous before God through primarily through obeying God's law. Here comes Paul in Ephesus teaching that the only way that you can be righteous before God is faith in Jesus Christ. The only way God will hold you account acceptable is if you come to a living faith in Jesus Christ. And when they heard Paul teaching this, they go, yes, Paul, yes, I agree with you. 
But as they were thinking about it more, their culture came, their culture, they started to revert back to their culture. When they first heard the gospel, they believed. But as they start walking a little bit, they kind of was kind of going back to what they knew, which was Jewish tradition. So they were kind of confused. In one hand, they agreed that righteousness comes from faith in Jesus Christ alone. But their culture says, you need to obey God to be, to be regarded as righteous and acceptable before God. So these two guys, these, these Jewish teachers, started to marry the two doctrines. They, married, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ and their Jewish culture, and they combined it like Voltron. Right? So they go, not only should you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is true, but you also need to do other things. You need to add to the gospel in order for you to be saved. So believe in Jesus Christ, they say, plus do other stuff like not get married or not eat certain foods. Then God will accept you. In fact, they had a problem with Paul. Because to them, Paul was like a hippie. They thought Paul preached love all the time, man. They thought Paul was all about grace, man. You don't need the law, man. <coughs> I just stopped imitating people. They believed Paul is preaching a soft truth where it requires nothing they think Paul is saying <coughs> the law of God doesn't mean anything all you need to do is believe like the really bad Christmas song all you need to do is believe forget the law just believe so they were criticizing Paul they're saying Paul thinks the law of God is not important anymore that's the context in which Paul is writing this. These guys were saying, you're not, you don't need just Jesus. You need Jesus plus obeying certain laws. But think about what this means, the implications of it. If you say you can be saved plus Jesus plus law, you need to do something else to be saved. When you do that, it cheapens the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. When you say you need something else besides believing Christ to be righteous before God, then you're cheapening the grace of Jesus Christ. You're cheapening it. You're saying what Christ did on the cross is not enough. It may be 98% enough, but 2% is not enough. You know what I mean? It's like Diet Coke. It's 99% sugar-free, but not completely. It's not Coke Zero. 
They're saying the love of Christ and the mercy of God in Christ is not enough. When you listen to them, Paul's big gripe is if you listen to them, they are diluting the love of Christ. People in modern day have the same mentality. They say they believe in the gospel. But because maybe they think it's too easy, they want to add to it. The way you know God loves you is the gospel of Jesus Christ plus, I don't know, if you're a liberal Christian, plus doing good works. Then God will love you and accept you. If you're a Pentecostal Christian, gospel of Jesus Christ plus all these exciting spiritual experiences. If you're a Gen Z Christian, it's gospel of Jesus Christ plus authentic Christian experiences. The gospel is not enough to convey you that God loves you. Therefore, you need to add to it what you think is right. You get what I'm saying? I see this all It breaks my heart. Paul is, Paul, that's why, because Paul knows that this is the implication of their false teaching, Paul is telling Timothy to stop those guys from teaching. In verse 8, Paul is saying, Paul is telling Timothy, I'm not against God's law. They're misquoting me. They think I'm some guy who's, who, who preaches love and peace all the time. And who, 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 they don't think I value God's law. Paul says in verse 8, that's not true. Joe, do me a favor, buddy. Pull, pull verse 8 for me. Look at that. Now we know that the law is good. That's what Paul says. The reason he says now we know the law is good is because people are accusing him that people are accusing him saying that Paul thinks the law is not good. But Paul says law is good if one uses it lawfully. Paul is saying the law of God is good when you know the purpose of God's law. What is the purpose of God's law? And this is where it gets tricky. Verse 9, Hitsu. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. He's saying, this is where you got to, okay, if you're bored, slap yourself. This is it. You got you to you focus here. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, all right, law is good if it is used lawfully, which means you need to know what the purpose of the law is. And in verse 9, Paul is saying, the purpose of the law it's not for, the law is not for the righteous people, but for the sinners. What in the world does that mean? Why is the law for sinners? I think this, because dudes, I searched a lot of commentaries and heard a lot of sermons to answer this question. And this is what I'm getting. When Paul says the law is for the, unjust, for the unjust and sinners, this is what he means. He's saying the purpose of the law is to reveal God's law 
so that the sinners can refrain from sin. The purpose of the law, it is so that people with sinful dispositions, when they see God's law, they realize what sin is so that they will refrain from sinning. Do you understand? Example is this. This is from John Stott. He says, an example of this verse is this. Why is the speed limit 55 miles an hour in I-66? Why is it? See, 55 seems to be an arbitrary number. Why is it 55 and not 65, like 95, right? Or 75 in, in Nebraska? Why is it 55? I don't know. But, but John started saying, the reason why there's a speed limit, it is so that speed demons who want to speed all the time will realize there was a limit to how fast they can go. So that limit will refrain their desire from wanting to go really fast. Do you understand? Paul is saying the reason why the law of God, one of the main reasons why the law of God exists, it is to reveal what sin is so that sinners, when they see the law of God, can refrain from sin. How do you know what sin is? Law of God. When you, know the, when you see the law of God, you go, oh crap, that's the law of God. And the law of God says, if you sin, there are consequences, which is the wrath of God and spiritual death. So that with sinners, when they read the law of God and read the fact that there are consequences of disobeying that law, sinners will refrain from sin. Comprende, por favor? That's what Paul means. Sean Stark, can you teach us on Friday? I think Sean Stark can teach us on Friday. This is what it means. What's the purpose of God's law? To reveal what sin is so that you won't sin. Right? Look. And Paul lists all these different type of sins. He lists these type of sins. People the law is for people who strike their fathers and mothers, people who disobey their fathers and mothers and want to act violently, either physically or verbally against their, their parents. Just because you didn't strike your parents, I hope none of you stroke your, stroke, stroke your parents. If you, if you did, let me know, seriously, right? But they are verbal things that you slap your parents around, right? That is evil. Murderers. Next verse, Sue. Sexually immoral, adultery, pornography, whatnot. Men who practice homosexuality, enslavers means people who sell other human beings as slaves. So when these liberal Christians say, the Bible is not true because it condones slavery. No, it isn't. Enslavers. Paul is condemning enslavers. Liars, perjurers, and whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is saying, these things are the list of sins. And these sins, you know these things are sins because God revealed them through the law. How do you know homosexuality is sin? Because God's law says it is. Look, the most common denominator of all churches that is so lenient towards homosexuals is this. Maybe this is, this is what I get fired for today. 
what all those churches who are leaning against homosexuality is this. They don't have a high view of the Bible. They don't. They have a high view of man's interpretation of the Bible. But not on the Bible itself. Look. What is the best way for you to live in your sinful state? You know what the best way to do it is? Don't read the Bible. Just hold on to whatever version of Christianity that you have and don't read the Bible. When you don't read the Bible, I promise you, you're not going to feel sinful at all. The only sin that you will feel offended by are people who offend you, right? That's the only sin that is unforgivable in modern society. The only sin that is unforgivable in modern society is people who offend me. That's the unforgivable sin. Liars, perjurers, homosexuality, people who speak nasty things against their parents, these are all forgivable. But if they insult me, they deserve to go to hell. If you don't want to know about your sin, Don't read God's law. But the more you know, study God's law, not only the Old Testament laws, but even the New Testament, the more you look into it, this truth, the truth revealed in the Bible, will make you see yourself clearly. And you will see that you're a sinner. Paul says law exists to refrain sinners from sinning. That's the purpose, one of the main purposes of God's law. But what is the problem? What is the weakness of God's law? It has the, the weakness of God's law is it doesn't have the power to refrain people from their sins. Even though temporarily it may refrain you from your sins, the law of God does not have the power to extinguish the power of sin in your heart. It does not. The law is good because it reveals sin and the consequences of sin so that you will not sin, but it does not have the power to make you stop sinning. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can give you the heart to stop sinning. And that's what Paul talks about in the next verse. In verse 12. Verses 12 through 17, Paul shifts from the discussion of the law. And Paul transitioned into his personal testimony. In verse 12, you can see... I think verses 12 to 17, it reveals Paul's heart. It reveals Paul's motive. It reveals what Paul is living for. In verse 12, Paul is so, he's just blown away by what God has given to him. Verse 12, Paul says, I thank Jesus Christ who has given me strength because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. In verse 12, the word 
the phrase, he gives me strength. This means Jesus Christ gave him the spiritual gifts that he needed to become an apostle and to, and to effectively do his ministry. The strength here, isn't, it isn't that fact that Paul felt weak, but Christ strengthened him, which Christ does. But more, it's more specific than that. The word strength here means gifts. Paul is saying, I am so thankful that Jesus Christ gifted me with knowledge of the Bible, with the power of speech, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, so that through his ministry, other people can be saved. Jesus Christ gave him that gift. And he's so thankful for that. This is very different from modern Christians, right? Modern Christians think serving the church is like us doing God a favor. That is so insulting. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But you know, God loves me. But if I have time, I will serve him, I guess. That is so insulting. Paul said it is an absolute privilege of getting to be used by God for his ministry. What greater calling is there than this, people? Why did, why did Jesus give Paul such gifts? Because, Paul says, he judged me faithful and appointed me to this service. The reason, Paul says, that God gave him these spiritual gifts is because he judged me faithful. The word judge me faithful, it, it doesn't mean, you know, God saw promise, Jesus saw promise in Paul, Right? And say, oh, this kid will be good, so I'm going to give him these gifts. It doesn't mean, like, somehow Paul was worthy of these gifts. It doesn't mean that. When God judged Paul to be faithful, it means God, who is omnipotent, who knows all things, knew what, Paul, what, he, what, what could be done through Paul. So because God knew what could be done through Paul, and because God knew at the end of the day, Paul will be faithful to the task, God gave him these gifts. Do you understand? It isn't because Paul was smart. It isn't because Paul was worthy or anything. It's because God knew that through these gifts, Paul would be faithful to these gifts. And as Paul is faithful to these gifts, God knew that people will be saved through this. Because God knew that God, Paul will be effective and faithful, he gave the spiritual gift. And Paul says, and he appointed me to his service. In my house, my, in my parents' house, there's a photo of my, dad, of my dad being appointed by the president of Korea. Right? When he was appointed to his position, past position, the president gave him like a plaque or something. Why do you give him a plaque? I don't know. And my dad is shaking hands with the president. That's the, one of the proudest moments of my father's life. To be appointed to his task. Paul says, God has appointed me to his service. 
Christian, do you know God has appointed you to his service? God is not so much concerned with how happy you are in this life, how trouble-free you are in this life. He's concerned about your service to him. And it isn't a dread. It isn't, it isn't a, an annoyance. It is an absolute privilege. Paul was blown away by the fact that God appointed him because Paul knew he didn't deserve such an appointment because Paul knew he was a chief of sinners. Verse 13. God appointed me to serve, Jesus Christ appointed me to serve, verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Paul was blown away by the fact that God appointed him for a service because Paul knew he wasn't deserving of such appointment. Because Paul says in verse 15, he is the foremost sinner, which means he is the worst of sinners. Paul knew more than anything else. He is the worst sinner. Look, isn't it interesting? In verse 15, Paul says, I am the foremost sinner. Paul is not saying, I was the foremost sinner. Paul says, I am, present tense, the worst sinner. But God showed mercy to him. What, is, what does it mean when Paul says, I am the worst sinner? He means two things. There's a past tense, past sense of who he is, and a present sense of who he is. Number one, the past sense of who he is. Paul knew his past. In Acts 26, Paul is before King Agrippa, the king of Rome. And Paul gives his testimony to King Agrippa. Right? And Paul has, you know those, you know when you go to retreats, you have these like amazing conversion stories. Yeah, man, I was a drug user, but Christ saved me and I'm free, right? Or yeah, man, I'm from a broken home, but God loved me and I've become a loving pastor, right? That kind of testimony. What was Paul's testimony? My regret in life is I don't have a cool testimony. I never did drugs. I never smoked I was a nerd who was supposed to do what I was supposed to do, right? I don't have those cool testimony stories. I was never involved in a car crash. There's a testimony I heard when he was involved in a car crash, and when he was involved in a car crash, he realized God showed him a vision of every bone in his body being broken, right? Who was that? But then God restored him. I go, oh, man, that's a cool testimony story. I don't have any of that. What was Paul's conversion story in Acts 26? Paul's conversion story is this. I used to persecute Christians. Not only did I go to Israel to persecute them, I went to different cities in Rome to persecute them. I was a persecutor. I was a Jedi hunter, he says. Not only that, when people, when Christians were putting to, were being put to death, 
I cast my vote for their death, he says. So I directly contributed to the death of many Christians. That's his testimony. He killed people like you and me. And Paul says, I thought I was doing the right thing, but killing them. That's why Paul says, I am the worst sinner. Because I killed people for a living. But God showed me his grace, Paul said. And he showed his mercy to Paul. And he forgave Paul. And he's using Paul to save people. Paul never got over that, you know? Paul says, I am. He says, I am the worst sinner. He's not only talking about his past transgressions. He's saying, the more that I am... Walking with Christ. And the more that the Holy Spirit ministers to me, I discover more and more of my sins. It's not, the, it's not that Paul is living a habitual life of sin after conversion, but he's discovering more and more about a sinful heart. That's what happens when you walk with the Lord. When you really walk with the Lord, he reveals to you your brokenness and your sin. And why you needed to be forgiven. Paul constantly, God is constantly making Paul be aware of that. Not because he wants to make Paul feel guilty, but because he wants to make Paul know that he is loved by Christ. I am the worst sinner, Paul says. But Jesus Christ is infinitely patient with me. And he loves me. And he's using me for a service. That's how Paul knows that Christ loves him. And Paul says in in verse 16... But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. He's saying, the reason why Jesus saved someone like me is that I can be an example to other people. What is the example? If Jesus Christ can forgive and use someone like me, If Jesus Christ can forgive people who killed Jesus' disciples and forgave me and is using me, then anyone can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And you can be used by God. My dear friend, That's how you know the love of God, you know? The 
love of God doesn't, it's, you don't, you don't, the love of God doesn't change you simply when you, when you experience miracles in your life. I've experienced many miracles in my life back in my day and still continue to do so. Like, for example, like my father, whenever I talk to him, he praises God all the time. When my father was in jail, you guys prayed that my dad will confess, find faith in Christ. Guess what? He really did find faith in Christ. He's praising God as, as, as every time I talk to him, he says, praise God. And I'm experiencing that miracle in my life. But guys, no matter what kind of miracle that I experience, those miracles are not itself enough to make my heart warm towards his love. The one that makes me know that he loves me and that he is for me is that I know that I'm a chief sinner. And yet he forgave me. And yet he's using me. My dear friends, is that how you're basing the love of God? When you say God loves you, do you mean precisely that? That he has forgiven your sins and that he has made you his despite your sins? Is that how you truly define the love of God in your heart as your identity? Or do, you, or do you view yourself primarily as a nice person who needs God's help once in a while? I think many Christians, despite their confession that they, they love Jesus Christ, many of them, in my opinion, think of themselves as not bad of a person. They don't think they're that bad. They just need God's help once in a while. If that is how you see yourself, as not that bad of a person, but who just needs God's help once in a while, the tragedy is you will never know the love of Christ like Paul did. And the love of Christ will never change you. Do you know Christ like that? Look, last story before we end. This story just touched my heart as I was listening to it. It's by Alistair Beck, my hero. And Alistair Beck was telling a story about a pastor that he knew. Being a pastor is a very disheartening job, y'all. It really is. And this pastor was every Sunday... You know, when, when, it, when, when Sunday rolls around, his, his heart is always kind of sunken a little bit because he knows every Sunday he'll be discouraged. And the pastor says, what do I do when my, when my heart thinks about the thing that I have to do on Sunday? It, dis, it it's dis, disheartens me. What does he do when I'm feeling disheartened? He says, I take the highway of my past sin remembers his past sins and he remembers that Christ forgave him and when he remembers that Christ forgave him he's so encouraged he's so energized 
They can go to another Sunday being faithful to the master's call. I pray that you'll know Christ that way this year. I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will change you so deeply that you will love God more and love your fellow neighbors better. But the only way to do it is through the study and the examination of your life through the word of God. That's the only way that it will happen. I pray that will happen for you this year. Let's pray.